0: Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Well, hey, good evening. Welcome to Young Adults. If you will go ahead and find your way back to your seat. Find your way back in. Man, guys, that was so much fun because I, I love to photobomb, it's my love language. I just got in like nine of y'all's pictures. So look in the background of y'all's pictures and you'll see quite a bit of me. But hey, uh, I'm glad we're here. Coco uh, brought up, man, favorite time of the year, right? Like who, who's my cold weather people? Who enjoys, yeah, that's the way, it's, it's incredible, right? You get to bring out hoodies, you're bringing out your snow boots. It's the best time of the year. I'm always looking for an excuse to just Put a hoodie on and it's like what i wear all day sometimes i sleep in it and it's a great thing um guys pretty pretty incredible my mom uh texted me and tyler the other day and said hey i need a christmas list for you all and i was like man i haven't thought about a christmas list in forever and i was like i have to go home put something together and tyler was like let me send you something i've already got it like tyler has running lists for our boys things they need things she wants for them things she has got a list for things for herself all different price points she's got it all figured out i'm like I could use a new lawnmower, like I I, I have big ticket items and that's it. I always struggle to find something. But this time of year always reminds me of when I was a kid, uh, my grandma worked at JCPenney. So my mom would give each of us, and I I, I think it was each of us, maybe it was just me, she gave us the JCPenney catalog. Do you guys remember those? It was like that thick and it had like everything that JCPenney has ever sold in it and we would go through and we would circle the things that we want. And looking back, I don't think they ever looked through it to see like that's the things that they want or need because that's never the things that I got. Uh, but I remember like November, October, I'd start to get that, get that uh, list and i start to, to circle the things that I wanted. But I remember one year, I think I found the JCPenney catalog in like, I don't know, June or May or something ridiculous. And I was like, I'm gonna find the, the, the good gift this year. I want everybody, all aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, everybody on the same page, because I want something good, I want something big. And I found this guitar, okay? And I was like, I want this guitar. Because I remember thinking at like nine years old, this is gonna change everything about me. Like, I'm gonna become guitar player guy, It will change the way that people view me. It'll change the way that I am around people. People will view me a little bit differently because I own a guitar. Like I thought that just owning it would change everything for me. Um, That I thought that that was the way to get girls. That was the way to get popularity. That was the way to get everything that I needed was wrapped up in this guitar. And I remember I would like open it up and like circle it. like every day with like a pencil or something and I would like read it and there were three guitars. I remember there were three guitars on the page and I wanted this one, it was in Sunburst and I thought like that would be the coolest thing and it was electric, it came with an amp. Looking back, probably a pretty crummy guitar and amp um, but I remember like, man, I-, I want the red one, do I want the Sunburst one? They're both cool, they'd both be pretty neat uh, but I landed on the Sunburst one and I remember like making the presentation to my-, to my mom being like, all right, I've only circled one thing this year, this is what it is. The guitar, okay? So if, if you can make that happen, uh, that would be great. Now, let me fill you in on something that never happened. Never got that guitar. And uh, my, my Christmas was ruined, dashed. And I remember, like, Christmas when you start seeing the presents under the tree, I was like, that's crazy. That doesn't look like a guitar. That's, like, pretty small. And I was, like, I was just, like, pretty upset and, like, got it confused, like, okay, maybe they, like, took the amp out and put it by itself, or maybe they took the cables out and put it by themselves. So I was like, Kind of convinced, like, maybe they'll bring out that big present on Christmas morning. And, like, Christmas morning came and went, and I probably got some good presents that year. I don't remember them at all, but I just remember opening them being like, Does it, this isn't, like, guitar-related. Are you, did you get confused, or did you? I'll go get the JCPenney catalog and show you one more time, and that way you'll know, maybe for my birthday in May, You could take all these things back and get me what I really want. But I was convinced that like that would be the way of like looking into my future and seeing that's who I'm really going to be. That's who I really see myself as in the future. I want to ask you a question tonight. Uh, Who do you see yourself as in the future? What's the the version of you that's 5, 10, 15, 30, 50 years down the line, the 75-year-old version of you, what do they look like? What do they act like? What are some of the characteristics? What are some of the traits that you would say define 75-year-old you? What would you say that those are? Because I want to have the type of view on my life that doesn't just say, hey, what's 75-year-old Jared look like? What does eternity look like for me? How can I best glorify God with myself, with my whole life, with my body, with my actions, with my family, with my relationships, with my work? How can I glorify God in all those things? So what do I need to look like? We've been working through Philippians, and it's been an incredible book. I've really loved going through it with you all, but what we, what we see in Philippians is that Paul is writing this letter to this group of believers that they don't have anything in common as a church except for the cross, except for Jesus Christ has pulled them in together and saved them all the same, and that's what they have in common. So what you see is that he's writing this letter from a jail cell filled with joy, telling them to focus on the cross and focus on Christ. What Logan talked about last week in the first part of chapter two is that they should focus on laying their lives down at the foot of the cross the same way that Christ did in unity, that that's where the joy of the Christian life will come from. So we're gonna pick up in Philippians 2, verse 12 tonight. I want you to read it, it'll be on the screen. This is what that verse says. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, therefore, so anytime you see the word therefore, I had someone teach me, you go back and you see what it's there for. So given Logan's message last week, given everything that he said, given how we should be servants, how we should do what Christ did and lay our lives down in service at the foot of the cross and have unity only in the way that we serve, he said, hey, therefore, given that statement, understanding that, my beloved, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, be obedient. He's telling them, hey, I want you to be people of obedience, whether I'm here or not. Like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when when you have an interaction with a, a good spiritual thing, you're like, man, it's so easy to follow under this certain scenario, in this circumstance, at this church, while this type of worship is around me, when I'm under this type of leader, when I'm in this type of small group. But this is the same scenario that Paul's talking about. Paul was this dynamic leader that came in and showed them how to be organized and showed them how to be a church. But then he said, hey, when I leave, don't stop being obedient. Be obedient in all seasons, in seasons of harvest and in seasons of famine, in seasons of good and in seasons of bad, be obedient to God. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to be obedient where you're at right now, but when you get ready to go home at the end of semester, And it's easy to fall into the things that you did when you were in high school. It's easy at the end of a quarter to go, man, I already got my sales numbers. Everything's all right. I'm just going to kind of coast until the beginning of the next quarter. The same obedience in different seasons is what Paul's asking them for. But then he says this, and it's one of the crazier statements that you see in the Bible, that that's where we're really going to spend most of our time. But he says Not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For a long time, this is one of the most confusing verses in the Bible, because there's so much about salvation and what that is. And this is saying, hey, work it out for yourself. But tonight, I want to unpack that with you so that we all have an understanding of what it means to work out your salvation and not work for your salvation. So first I feel like we have to start with what salvation is, with what salvation is. You see in the story of the Bible, you see in the story of humanity, this narrative that God created man and he walked and he talked with them in the Garden of Eden. He had Adam and Eve and things were good and they were intimate. He talked with them. He knew them. They knew him deeply and at an intimate level and things were perfect. He had perfect relationship with them. They knew him and he knew them. He just gave them one rule not to do and they chose willingly and willfully to go and do that one thing. And when that happened, because God is perfect and they did something imperfect, there was separation. Not on God's end, but on theirs that you see in the account in Genesis that God comes and he looks for them. and He says, hey, where are you? Not that our all-knowing God didn't know, but he wanted to know why are you not here? That maybe you're here tonight, and you say there's a there's a, a hole, a cavity in my heart that it feels like I'm not where I should be. That was what it was after Adam and Eve sinned and brought this separation into God. And what you see from the very beginning is what was necessary was a sacrifice that something had to be given for the wrath of God to be satisfied and be justified. But they could no longer walk in the Garden of Eden, and it changed things. There was a separation. So the whole story of the Bible is the story of God's redeeming, pulling people in, saying, hey, I'm still choosing you, even though you're broken, even though you've done things wrong, I still want to be your God. And that's what you see with the story of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament. And the New Testament comes and things are broken open because God is finally going to fix things once and for all. And He does that through His Son named Jesus. So, what Jesus did is He comes in and He lives a perfect life. He didn't do anything wrong. He did not need the sacrifice of God to come and live over His life, but He was the sacrifice. He was that thing that didn't, need, that didn't need to be slaughtered but was so that we could now have relationship with God. This is how Ephesians 2 paints it. One of the most beautiful pieces of scripture in all the Bible, it said, And you were dead in your trespasses, that apart from God, spiritually we are dead, and uh, my, my son Thatcher, he's, I brought him up on stage this, this last week, I, he's three years old, he's a ton of fun, and he'll, I don't know where he picked it up, and it's kind of weird, but he plays dead every once in a while, and we'll shock him back to life, and even when he's playing dead, you can tickle him, you can make him laugh, and he gives a giggle, that's not dead, y'all, like, that's him playing dead. I don't know if you've ever seen something dead on the side of the road, but dead is dead, Dead can't do anything to bring themselves back to life. And that's what he's explaining. That's our spiritual state, that we were dead in our sin. We were dead in the things that we did, separated from God spiritually. Verse 2, he says, in which you once walked. You were dead in the sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, doing what everybody does. Following the prince of the power of the air. He's saying it's not even just that you were dead. It's that you you weren't neutral towards God. You were headed in a different direction than God. You were following Satan is what he says there. That I think sometimes we can look at our sin and the bad things that we do and go, okay, it's not that bad. But the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians is that we were headed in a completely different direction than God. He says, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and in the mind, we were by nature children of wrath. Like there wasn't some kind of good just kind of welling up in us. No, it was evil. Bad things welling up inside of us like the rest of mankind. But in one of the most beautiful sections of scripture in verse four, he doesn't just say, so I don't know if you can figure it out. No, he says, but God... Found you where you were dead, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is salvation. This is what He's talking about. But this even adds more context to us. He says, By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. So which is it? In Philippians, he's saying, hey, work out your salvation. In Ephesians, he's saying, this isn't something that you can do on your own. He says later, it's the gift of God, not a result of your good works, so that no person can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is salvation? Salvation is the standing with God that we are offered without purpose of our own, without merit of our own, that we are given position of favor with God. That's what Jesus had because he was perfect. He had favor with God. He had never done anything wrong. He had only pleased God the Father, but he imparted that to us. He gave that to us on the foot of the cross. He sat where we should sit so that we could sit where he should have. We don't deserve favor with God. I don't deserve favor with God. That God is perfect and I don't deserve that. But that's what Jesus did. That's salvation. That he offers it, that he just says, Hey, if you will turn from your sin, if you will turn from your former way of living and trust me, if you will believe in me, this is the relationship that you can have. That you can have a standing with God that is not just neutral, but you can have a standing with God that is in favor because of Jesus Christ. This is salvation. This is what's being readily offered to you, and if you would say that you're here and you don't have that, that is the whole story of the Bible. That is what God has for you. That will give your life more hope, more purpose, more meaning, more joy, more peace than anything else in the world can because it reconnects you with the God who created you. He knows what your purpose is. He's not hiding that from you. That's what salvation is. Salvation is undeserved, positional standing of favor with God. It's not something that you could do on your own. It's only something that God did for us, and he offers it. That Christ worked for your salvation. You see, what Philippians doesn't say in Philippians 2.12, it doesn't say, hey, so now, much more in my absence, work for your own salvation, because that would do no good. God gave you salvation, if you'll take it. It's a free gift, it says in Ephesians. If you've accepted it, it's yours. God has worked for it. So what does it mean to work it out? What does it mean to work out your own salvation, not for it? It's been given to you, imparted to you as a gift, that you accept or decline. So what does it look like to work out your salvation? To work out your salvation is to exercise your standing, to exercise the standing that God has given you, to become who God wants you to be. The the clearest picture I have of this is really found in the Bible, but God uses the idea of salvation as adoption into his family. Over and over, he says that we are people that he's adopted, grafted into his family, That you think about that picture of someone who was far that, man, there have been families in our church that have adopted kids from all over the nation, or sorry, all over the world, and it's an incredible picture of that child was not going to work their way to living in that person's home. It just couldn't happen. That person couldn't call enough from Ethiopia and say, hey, I I would really like to come live in your home. No, that person has to be invited into your home and said, hey, you are being given my last name. You are being given all of the authority, all of the privilege, all of the responsibility of being a member of my family. Now that's yours. That that's what God does for us. He gives us a standing as a family member, as a son and daughter, as a child of God that we couldn't go out and get on our own by being good enough. That that child can't, in Ethiopia, do what it takes to become a member of that family. But there's another side of the equation. Now, I'm a father, I've got two boys. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And when they're born into my family, they, are, they, they have my last name. They have, uh, my, my first son Thatcher is the spitting image of me. And sometimes it's scary because he's got all these traits that I have. And you're like, what in the world? I thought I had this handled and it's showing back up in a three-year-old form that doesn't quite round off all the edges that I have. And it's, it's scary. Um, but he bears my name that he has the standing of being in my family, but he also should be raised to know what it means to be a member of my family. It's both and. Nothing that he does conduct-wise could ever make him not a member of my family. There's nothing that he could do where I would fully disown him and say, you need to change your last name. You're, you're no longer a member of my family. That I think about that word picture, and the Bible talks about how if, if an if a earthly father he hears from his son, Father, I need a, a something to eat. You won't give him rocks and a scorpion. You'll, you'll give him bread. How much more does your heavenly Father give you what you need? That God, as our Father, gives us the standing, but he also wants us to understand what it looks like to live in conduct and in character as a member of his family. So, just for an example, um, in our family, we want our home to be an open place for people that are far from God and hurting. So that starts to shape all these different things in the way that we make decisions, that we want to shape our home, that we wanna shape our finances, that we wanna shape our decisions around that, around what we believe that God has moved us into being. So we want our kids to see us doing that and we want them to start to do that on their own. So part of that is in us teaching them and part of that is in us showing them what it looks like and empowering them to do. That's what God is saying here, what Paul is saying in working out your own salvation. The standing does not change. The conduct and the character can be grown into. It can be developed. That Pastor Eddie said it the best way a couple weeks ago that he talks about, it's a sad thing, but he hopes that the year that he dies is the year that his kids look back and go, that's when my dad was the most like Christ was that last year of living. That it's a continual walk towards Christ of I mean, every day I'm just going to take a little step. Eugene Peterson called this idea, what he's talking about in Philippians 2, long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. That you may not be able to get where you want to go today or tomorrow or even in a week or even in a month, but For me, I look at some of those people that, man, they they seem like rocks in their faith. Well, they've been walking with God for 30, 40, 50 years, so they understand, man, I had a hard time come, but God is still good. Man, I didn't have enough money in the bank, but I know that God will either provide or teach me what I need to do next time. That you look at those people and you go, how do you have so much faith? Well, they've experienced long obedience in the same direction discipline. That's why we care so much about spiritual disciplines. One of the five things that we care about are spiritual disciplines so that we understand who God is. So we understand what it looks like to walk with God over a long season, over a long period of time. One of the commentaries that I was reading that went along with this said that uh, that term to work out literally means to work out, to exercise. Like, I don't know how many of you all are athletes. Like I've, I've exercised like four times in my life. My brother's like bigger, stockier than I am. And he could always like put on weight and be like this big stocky dude. And I'm always like string bean. Like for the longest time, I couldn't put on any weight. Well, I was like, fine, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna buy some creatine. I'm gonna bulk up, I'm gonna work out with him. And I worked out for, with him for like two straight months. And I, I didn't see, feel any different. I was just sore all the time. Uh, and I, I stepped on a scale and I had lost four pounds. Uh, and when you, when you weigh not much to begin with, when I was in high school, that, that was pretty frustrating. Um, but those people that, that work out, you understand that, man, if I go and I try to go run as long as I can one time, I might be able to do a couple of miles, but that's not going to build me up to do a marathon. Like, that's not going to make me a marathon runner. To go and bench press everything that I can right now, one, would be embarrassing, but two, would not build up any sort of, wow, his PR is like super high. No, it would just hurt me for a couple of days, right? That we understand that, man, these these spot disciplines really don't build on each other, but we understand that, man, if you eat right for a couple months at a time, it's going to show, That if you work out, that if you run, that if you do some of those things that we consider disciplines, it's gonna show in later spaces that, man, that's a long obedience in the same direction. I don't wanna just have those towards my body, towards my habits. I wanna have those towards God. Because when I'm 75, when I'm 80, when I'm 90, and I am knocking on the door of heaven, I wanna be the most Christ-like version of myself that I ever have been because I've been working out my salvation. The position never changed, but the conduct and the character forever grows. And I think before we even talk about what that looks like tonight, we have to decide, are we going to be people? Is this going to be a community of people that decide, I want that conduct to be better tomorrow than it was today. I may not be able to fix everything. I may not be able to even build character overnight, but I know five years down the line I can. I know that I can start to become who it is that God has for me just by taking steps in the right direction, just by saying yes to what it is that God has in front of me today. So I want you to look at a couple of things, what that really means, what exercise, what working on our salvation really means. And the first one, I think they all just fit under the idea of obedience to God. That's what Paul talked about right before this. They're all in obedience to God, and my my overarching question is, what is that one thing that God's been asking you to be obedient in? Because it might be something really big, or it might just be something that, God's been kind of nagging you at at you for he's just been kind of asking in a small sweet way hey that area of your life I'd like to I like to be in that with you I'd like to impact that area of your life you really haven't let me yet and I can't tell you what that is I have some ideas of what that might be but sometimes you see it from other people that you get challenged or you read it in God's word and you go man what's that one thing but If you leave not thinking anything else, what's the one thing that God wants you to be obedient in and be obedient in it? The first idea that I had was serving God and serving people. Uh, Logan's message last week was so much about serving people at the foot of the cross that in Philippians 2, verse 4 through 8, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I just realized I have the wrong verse up, so I'm going to flip back in my Bible. He said, "'Let each of you look not only to his own interests "'but also to the interests of others, "'but have this mind among yourselves, "'which is yours in Christ Jesus, "'who, though he was in the form of God, "'did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, "'but made himself nothing, "'taking the form of a servant, "'being born in the likeness of men, "'and being found in human form, "'he humbled himself by becoming obedient "'to the point of death, even death on a cross.'" That our model for obedience is not just outdoing the person next to you. It's not just, man, I just want to do a little bit better than the guy that I know. It's Jesus. His level of obedience was walking to the cross with everything that he was. He wanted his whole life to be about obedience. That I fully believe that you will see more purpose and joy and meaning in your Christian life if you start to serve people. That if you feel like you're missing that, that if you feel like you're missing, I don't know what, what's next for me. Hey, serve people and say yes to what's next and just do it. I think God will take you to places that you would have never dreamed of just by saying yes to a serving opportunity. In small ways and in big, just by saying yes, by jumping in, by making a situation better. I've seen that more times than not, but what an incredible thing that we have that we get to serve God and serve people. That's why we we do a thing called Team Track that we'll do again in the spring, that you can join the team of people that makes young adults happen and ministers to people in your age range every single week at young adults. That's why we're, we're passionate about people joining the team because that's when we feel like people will find their purpose. Then we'll find joy is serving. Are you serving? What does that look like? Are you serving God? And it's easy to think of it with, man, I need to serve God with my time. Are you serving God with resources, whatever that might be, with your talents, with your finances? Have you let God into those areas and said, God, I have this passion for this thing, and I don't know what to do with it, but I just have it. Have you given that to God and let him change it? Have you served people by sharing with them the goodness of what God's done in your life? Man, you never know what someone's going through that they just need to understand what it is that God's done in your life. You never know by time and resources and sharing to serve God and to serve people. The second thing I think that we have to exercise in is knowing God. I think to know God is to know his word, to understand what his letter to us says. Um, Do you know what his voice sounds like? Do you know what his spirit's pushing and nodding and prodding in your life looks like because it's going to be different it's going to be a prompting to read the letters of Paul and to hear that well I tried to go here but the spirit said no so I kept moving and I moved here and the spirit said no so then I went here that Paul didn't know Paul was just going to wherever the spirit told him and what he knew God did and he moved forward this is a story from another pastor, but he talks about how um, he, he's married to his wife. He's, he's been married to his wife for 25 years, and they go out on a date every week. And he knows that she doesn't like Mexican food. So he understands that on Friday nights, when they go out, her will is not to, hey, would you like to maybe try Mexican food this week? No, in 25 years, it hasn't changed. It's still the same. So do you know what it is that God loves? Because I think sometimes we want to know God's will, but we don't understand God's ways. Man, this is the way God works. God loves small odds. God loves it when we consecrate things to him and lay them down at the altar and say, God, this is yours. I don't know what it looks like to put this passion I have at your feet. God, I don't know what it looks like to put my finances at your feet, but I'm going to try it. That the Old Testament and the New are full of stories of people just going, God, I don't know, but I'm going I'm to give it to you. And we think that we have to have everything in order, but then you read stories of people that just went, God, it's just you. I don't know. So that when we understand God's ways, we'll understand, okay, this might be God's will. This might be something that he wants me to do. Do you know what God's voice sounds like? Do you know what his word says? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to start to understand that division that you feel inside of yourself? God's word. You want to start to understand where it is that you're like, man, I got this kind of, this nagging in me to do. God's word is going to clarify that for you. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You know what I love about that? It doesn't say, hey, it's the sun. It's going to make everything make sense. It says it's going to make the next step make sense. That obedience in the same direction is maybe not going to look like you have the rest of the journey figured out, but hey, it's just taking a step. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. What an incredible picture of what God equips us to do. That we have the ability in God's eyes to be complete and equipped for every good work. And it starts with God's word. Do you know God's word? Does God know your voice? We're talking about how we can know God's voice, that we can know that. But does God know your voice? Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and let you in on a secret. We're not going to get to the end of Philippians by the end of the semester, okay? That's, that, we'll just, we won't. But one of my favorite verses is in Philippians 4 that I started reading a minute ago. In Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Man, when things are good, rejoice. Always, when things, just tell God, hey, God, man, something good happened. Thank you, I appreciate that. Are you rejoicing to God? Are you telling him the good things that happen to you? Are you letting him in on the good parts of your life? But then it deals with the other side that sometimes can be a little bit more complicated. It says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's crazy. Like, anxiety is one of the things that plagues this generation. And it says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, everything, that if there is something that is making you anxious, it's worth to God to hear about. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, you know what the beauty of that says? It doesn't say, hey, the things that you're anxious about, put them away because they don't matter. Really figure out if they're valid or not and then bring it to God. It doesn't say that. It said, hey, if something's making you anxious, if something's worrying you, bring it to God. The thing that I love about it is that it doesn't say, hey, articulate it well, get to the root of the issue and tell God, it says, make it known to God. Hey, can you just go, God, I don't, I'm just anxious about this thing and I don't know why. Just make it known to him. It doesn't have to be in a complete sentence. The beauty of God is that he just appreciates the posture of your heart to say, God, I don't know, this makes me worried and I I need your help. Have you done that to God? Does God know the sound of your voice? Have you just run to him and said, God, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the details are. I just need you. I just need to turn it to you. I have no idea. Does he know what your voice sounds like? And then you have to wrap this whole idea of service to God and people, of knowing God's voice, of knowing God's word, of God knowing your voice, and wrap it in the idea of unity. Paul's talking about unity in, in this chapter, and he's, he's saying that, hey, we should have the same heart and mind that none of this has to be done alone. You're working out your own salvation, first and foremost, but the whole, he's saying, hey, therefore, given under the, the understanding that you are Searching for unity at the foot of the cross in service to one another, work it out and work it out with one another. That's the reason that we do groups, and we're going to do another group kickoff in the spring. That we would love to see you join a group so that you can work these things out with one another. That one of the beautiful things about groups is to say, I don't know and I don't understand, and have somebody else go, I went through the same thing. I know what that looks like. I've been there. Let's get to the bottom of it together. Let me give you some insight about what this word looks like, to do it together. The next thing you see in Philippians, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. And now that, that's the second part of the odd statement that you're like, what, what, why? You're working it out, but why with fear and trembling? Um, When I was uh, a kid, when I was probably nine or 10 years old, uh, my family took a trip to the governor's mansion. I don't remember why. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember my brother being like, listen, if there's one person that can send you to prison, it's the governor. So we're walking through the governor's mansion. and I'm like, hold on. He, he like legit lives here. Like this is like the White House of Missouri. And they're like, yeah, he could, he could pardon you. He could also send you to prison. So I'm like walking through thinking like this dude, is a bad dude. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And there was a group, I think we were in a group of like 30 or 40 people with my family and uh, I remember at one point like we saw him walking like, you know, he, was, he, he had like a handler or an aide or someone that was there with him and he just like brushed past and I remember like, oh my gosh, like nine years old, he could send me to prison if he wanted to. That I was like afraid of this dude, not because of anything he did, because of the power that he held and when Paul here is saying, hey, work out your own salvation, he's saying, hey, remember the authority of God. Remember that he's the one who created heaven and earth. Remember that he's the one who took you from death and into life. Remember that this God is the God who loved you enough to send his own son and to sacrifice for your life. So as you work this out, have a respect and significance in the relationship to understand that it's not just your best friend that you're, man, I need to learn to communicate with this person better. No, this is the God who created the heavens and the earth and he wants to have relationship with you. So as we go and as we exercise this standing that we have with God, we do it with fear and trembling. The thing that I love about worshiping our God is that we do it in two motions. The the, the idea of putting up your hands in worship is twofold. That you do it as a sign of submission and respect and you do it as a sign of adoration, in fear and trembling because we know that he is the God who handles things that we could never. That he is the God who holds the earth So I stand in fear and trembling knowing that you can take care of things that I never could. Look at the next statement. Look in verse 13. He says, and with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The thing that I always hated about this verse is that it felt like, hey, work it out. I've got two boys and I want them to figure out how to work it out. That's not what he's telling you. He's saying we have this standing with God that can never be shaken if we're found in him, that we need to work it out, that we need to have this long obedience in the same direction. But the whole time, it's God that works and wills to make you more like him. That as you take the next obedient step of obedience, it's God that does it for you. It's God that will make that impossible step possible. That God will call you to things that you don't know how to put the nuts and bolts on, but he's, he just wants you to say yes, and he's gonna figure out the details. Why? Not so that you can be the person that figured it out, so he can say, I did it for them. God did it, it's God. That the whole story of the Bible is not that we figured it out, that we found God, it's that it's God, both in our salvation in our standing and the one who works and will so that we can be more like him the whole time, it's God. That's our story. That's the only hope that we have. So if there's any hope and obedience for you, know that it's in God. That thing that I asked you about at the very beginning, what's that one piece of obedience? It's not anything besides God that's gonna help you do that. Community can help, prayer, all of it. It's God that's gonna do it. It's God, it's only him that I wanna challenge you that if you're a believer and there's one piece of obedience, I'm gonna challenge you to leave that piece of obedience at the cross, at the altar tonight. You don't have to know the details, you don't need to know how it's gonna play out, but to get on bended knee at a moment of marked obedience and say, God, I am giving this to you. It's yours. I'm going to start, I'm going to keep going in this long obedience in the same direction because I want age 90, Jared, to be the most Christ-like Jared that ever walked because I embarked in a long obedience in the same direction. And not because I figured out, but it's God who works and wills. Would you bow your heads? mm mm-hmm.